You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. That's where we are going to be uh, this morning in chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. But as you turn there, the subject is is marriage today. And uh, on our wedding day, you know, we thought we were making an easy promise when we said, I do. You know, it was easy for us on that day to say, I do. But what we quickly found out is that, and what we didn't realize, is that marriage would be so difficult. I mean, none of us realized it was gonna be this hard, this difficult, this person that we loved so much. And so what we understand now, like after marriage, is that the real promises and the real vows that we have to make happen long after the wedding day. And so I want us to think through some of this today and and really begin to understand that, okay, it wasn't just that one day I make that promise, but it's every year, it's every month, Okay, in reality, it's gotta be like every day uh, that we remind ourselves that yes, I do. I promise to love, cherish, and honor you. And, and despite the hangups, the problems, the, you know, the issues that we have, I still do. And so that's what we wanna land on today. And I wanna talk specifically really about the two important purposes that we see through scripture as far as, you know, God's design for marriage, why we even get married and and, and what God wants to do through our marriages. But before we get there, I want to make a couple of points. And the first point is this. Here's a little truth for you. We all need help when it comes to marriage. Can I get an amen after that? We all need help when it comes to marriage. Now, if you're married in the room today, would you just, let's just confess that today. Let's just say, we need help on the count of three. Ready, one, two, three. We need help. I mean, that's, that's the reality. If it wasn't for wise counsel in my life, um, I don't know where my marriage would be today. And, and if you're wise, if you're smart about it, you'll seek wise counsel out when you go through your issues in marriage as well. And the reason is because we all need help. Now, I, I enjoy doing uh, marriage counseling and, and uh, those kinds of things, but the thing that I love the most is premarital counseling. You know, the engaged couples, they love, so, they love each other so much and it's schmoopy this and schmoopy that. And, you know, it's so fun to like counsel with them. And I think the reason why I enjoy counseling them so, them so much is because that they are, what's the word I'm looking for? Dumb? No, maybe that's a little harsh. Okay, clueless. Maybe that sounds a little bit better. And if you're engaged, don't take offense. I was clueless. And, and, and here's why. There is nothing that can prepare you for marriage. You can read all the books. You can, you know, have a strong relationship with Christ. But there is nothing that prepares you to wake up to morning breath. Okay? I'm, I'm just like, did you drink from the toilet while I was asleep? How did that happen? And, and your hair looked good before we went to bed, but now it looks like a rat's nest. I don't know how it happens, but yeah, we, we look across the, you know, the room or, or in, you know, we look at this person who we were so in love with after year three, four, five, seven, and it's like, who is this person? And we change so much and there's so many issues and there's so many problems in marriage, but God has a purpose in those problems. And I want us to focus on that today. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, when I first 
met my wife, I was infatuated by her. I mean, I was in love with how she looked, how she smelled, how she talked. I was in love with her laugh. Everything about her just was amazing, you know? And when we said, I do, she was the one, you know? And, and, and so it, it was like this, this, this dream. And then a little bit later, you know, if I was going to be honest, and maybe some of you guys are, have been here, like you, you see this person who was so amazing in the one, and now you think, maybe I made a big mistake. Maybe this isn't the one because of these issues and because of these things that we're going through. And we have these questions and we wrestle with them and, and we don't understand what's going on. And, and what I've learned is that the commitment that I made on my wedding day was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that was the easy part, but saying I still do and still recommitting myself to these vows is something that is a daily process and something that I have to continue to work through. And so um, the days ahead are what we, where we're at today. Um, I, I realize that some of you are in here and instead of saying I still do, what, you know, kind of where you're at is you're at the place of I don't. I don't. And neither does he. And we're just here and we're just doing life and we're just kind of living together and we're just kind of, you know, given the appearance that everything is okay. And so, you know, what I want to do today is I want God to like begin to transform our hearts and open us up to his truth because I'm just going to tell you this, the purpose of marriage is not to make you miserable. And young people that are about to get married, marriage is awesome. It is amazing. Trouble, yes, some, some things that are difficult, absolutely. But there is nothing about marriage. Okay, wait, I won't say nothing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there, are, there are so many awesome things about marriage that, that, that God intends for us and that we get to experience. And, and it's something truly to look forward to. But we all need help at some point. And here's the second thing that I would say. At some point, every marriage becomes something that we didn't intend it to be. I mean, everybody faces this. There are challenges and issues that come our way in marriage that we never expected and that we would have never chosen. You know, the problem that happens and the issues with our kids and the things that are going on, we never would have said, yes, God, help us to go through that struggle. And so we look at each other and we're like, man, we didn't wanna end up here. We didn't wanna have to face this. And so, so many of us in this room, if this is true that we all have you know, problems, we all need help in marriage. And if it's true that all of our marriages at some point end up somewhere where we didn't intend to be, then we gotta look around the room and think, well, man, give me some help here. Like what? What do we do with this? And, and, and where do we go with, with this? And how do we make it better? Because we all sense the tension and, and feel the, the tension of a marriage that is just on rocky ground. I want to read 2 Corinthians. And, and um, I just want to remind you that the Bible is not a topical guide to your happiness. I know a lot of people, they have a struggle with marriage and then they go to the concordance. That's the thing in the back with all the words and they find the word marriage or they find the word love or whatever. And then they'll flip through and find those verses about marriage. And, and so like, if you do that, you're missing a lot. Okay. The Bible is one story. It is God's story of redeeming his people to himself. And so there, I could really apply every topic or every scripture in this book to your marriage. 
because everything about this book relates specifically to our life and our relationships. And so, and, and, and most importantly, our relationship with God. And so when we read this verse, you're gonna read it and go, what does that have to do with marriage? It doesn't say anything about marriage at all, but it does. Let's read it. Verse 14, he says, for Christ's love compels us. The ESV says controls us because we were convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live, here it is, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You just leave that verse up there for a second. Here's where we're at. Christ died for you and I, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but that we would live for him. Now here's what sin has done to you and what sin has done to me. And this verse speaks directly to it. You and I are selfish people. We live for ourselves. Think of yourself as a child, as a kid. My toy, my stuff, when I want it, right here, right now, life is all about you. You grow up, you wrestle with that, you date a few people, they think you're selfish, you think they're selfish, you break up. And then you, you're single for a while. And in that singleness, what do you do? Pretty much everything you want to do. <laughs> and then you find this other person and you like think you, that you're falling in love with them. And, and so you decide to, to get married and now you're married, but you're still this selfish person. And then you realize, okay, if this is going to work, I've got to understand the depth of this one verse found in 2 Corinthians. Like if I'm going to make this work, I've got to realize that Christ died for me, that I would stop living for myself and I would start living for him. Because that's the core issue of every problem in your marriage today. Every problem in your marriage boils down to sin. You married a sinner, you know, and you yourself are a sinner. And when you boil sin all the way down to its core, it is selfishness. Me, 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 my kingdom, build my kingdom, what I want, when I want it. So why does God institute marriage? There are lots of, there, there are many purposes here, but what better way for you and I to learn to get over ourself than to make us live with somebody who is equally as selfish. <laughs> to just see the depth of your depravity and my own depravity by putting me in the same house with this person and raising a family together and moving our way through Life. Here is the first purpose I want to share with you if you're taking notes. Number one, God's purpose for marriage is for your spiritual growth. It's for your spiritual growth. Think about it. How am I going to know the depth of how selfish I am on my own? Because I self-deceive myself and so do you. You don't really spend time thinking about how bad you are. Most of us don't. But God gives you a spouse who does spend some time thinking about that? And they sometimes share that with us. And what if it were true that the problems in your marriage were a sign of God's grace in your life? That those problems are God's grace in your life to show you just how selfish you are and that how absorbed and consumed with yourself you really are because his ultimate purpose is your spiritual growth to not live for yourself, but to live for him who loved you and dies, died 
for you. I'm going to make this statement. Um, some of you may not agree with this, but um, I'm going to say it anyway. If, if we were all honest today, we didn't marry for love. We married because we were infatuated and we thought that the other person could do something for us. And that something we thought that he or she could do for us was that they were going to make us happy. They were going to make us feel special. They were going to make us feel loved. They were going to make us, you know, feel, feel some of the emptiness inside. We wouldn't have to be alone. She looked good, so I thought, why not? I wanted to, you know, get physical, so we got married. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And ultimately, what we think you know, love is, is just an infatuation with another person and, and, and how they're going to fulfill our needs. And I mean, we watch the movies and read the books and listen to all the songs and we have this concept of what love is. But I promise you, we do not understand what real, true love is until we are first compelled or controlled by the love of Christ. And it's only through being compelled by the love of Christ that we begin to understand what true love is. You probably didn't marry for true Christ-like love. You just married because you thought she could do something for you. So here's what I'm saying. Now that you're married, if you wanna understand what true love is, then you'll see your problems as God's grace in your life, work through those issues, understanding yourself as a sinner, as a selfish person, and that you must not live for yourself, that you must live for your king, and you must put him first in every area. You must die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. And when you begin to die to yourself and what you want and what in the way that you want things done, then you can begin to put Christ first. And when you do that, then your marriage becomes healthy. We always think, well, if I want what I want, I've got to go get what I want. And it's like reversed. If I want to enjoy this life, I've got to live it according to God's word, which means I got to put him first and then he's going to give me everything else that I think I want. And he's going to show me the way that I need to li live my life. So we've got to wrap our minds around that. Some of you guys are, are having issues in your marriage today for one simple reason. You're both extremely selfish and you want what you want. And that is not a, that is not a godly love. And so, so some people are like, oh, our marriage is great. Our marriage is healthy. It's wonderful. But in reality, one person is usually a giver and one person is usually a taker. And so the one who is maybe not so selfish ends up giving in to the other person. And so the person that gets most of what they want thinks that the marriage is wonderful. Oh, we have such a great marriage. It's fantastic. We love each other. He serves. She serves me. And year seven, the person that's been given for, for, for seven years finally says, forget this, man. I didn't sign up for this. And they blow, you know, it's like an explosion of emotions. And the other person is like, wait a minute, I thought everything was great. No, you've just been getting everything that you want for seven years. That's why you thought it was great. But the other person has been given the whole time. So let's not confuse ourselves on this. Let's just admit that we need help. Let's admit that on many levels we are selfish and we need God's grace to show us how to work through them together. Our ego and our pride collide. We say sometimes that opposites attract. Um, how many of you guys would say that you married your opposite? I'm raising my hand. 
Opposites do attract. Um, and usually what we mean by opposites attract is we're with somebody who is completely opposite of us. Like they want things that I, I don't want and they need things that I don't need and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, we all marry our opposite because the person that we married is a sinner and extremely selfish. And a selfish person wants what they want when they want it. And because I'm selfish, I want what I want when I want it. Therefore, we are opposite and we're going to collide. We're going to clash and it's just part of life. But listen to me. This is the beauty of God's design for marriage. He takes two selfish people. He brings them together and he says, the only way you're going to make it, really make it, and really experience true love. A lot, of, a lot of couples stay together for years. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the ones that really get it and enjoy it and have figured it out are the ones that put Christ first, period. You don't understand love unless you understand the grace of God. And so what do we do? I mean, we, we've got to understand this. We've got to realize that the oppositeness in us is just that, we struggle with this. We struggle with our selfishness. And so I'm convinced that we don't fall in love and then get married. I'm convinced that we fall into a fantasy land and by God's grace, we begin to fall in love. Does that make sense? We don't, we don't fall in love and then get married because typically it's like we're just infatuated with what the person can give to us. And so we get married. And, and so we have this fantasy of what we think marriage is gonna be, how she's gonna serve us and what she's gonna do and how she's gonna do it. And she has the same concept for what you're gonna do, men. And so obviously that's gonna collide because we have different opinions and different thoughts about what that fantasy should look like. But then, but it's only by God's grace that we really begin to fall in love. And so if you're a believer today and you've been a strong Christian and you're maturing and you've been married for 20 or 30 years, you can look at this and say, I get that. We were in fantasy land for a while. And then it was God's grace. We finally began to figure it out what real love is. Because we went, we went through some things, you know, things with an A, some things, some things in our marriage. And I can't get into them today, but we went, through, we, we went through them. And it was that that brought us together. And it was God's grace. And he showed us what love was, and now we can enjoy it. But because of this fantasy land, we get into some heated arguments, don't we? How many of you guys have ever been in a heated argument with your spouse? Anybody want to just admit that today? Some of you don't want to admit anything today. We're going to work on you. How many of you have, have, have had to apologize because you said something in the heat of the moment? Any heat of the moment people in here? Yeah. So in the heat of the moment, we, we, we usually say, well, I'm sorry I said that because in the heat of the moment, I said something that I didn't mean. But, but here's my opinion on this. Take it or leave it. This is my opinion. In the heat of the moment, we say what we really mean. <laughs> We say what we really think and we reveal who we really are in the heat of the moment. Because in order to say something in the heat of the moment, we have already been processing those thoughts and thinking about them. They didn't just randomly bloop into our mind. We've been stewing over them and thinking about them and you know, rehearsing, a, how could I say this in a nice way? You know? And then when we get mad, that's the trigger that overflows into our words. What's the, the, the Bible speaks directly to this. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And so in the heat of the moment, we share what is in our hearts and it overflows in us. Um, 
We went on vacation. We go on vacation every year with, with my family. My dad rents a house and I've got an older brother and two older sisters. They have spouses, they have kids. And so there's like 25 of us that go to a, a house for the week and it's a vacation. And so, no, it really is. It's, it's good. We love it. And uh, I remember several years ago, we only had three kids at the time. We have four now. My wife's name is Micah. Micah and I had three children, uh, four years old and younger. Okay, so we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby. Don't ask me why. Let's not go there right now. But that's just how, that was reality for us. And so if you have kids in diapers, a vacation is never really a vacation, is it? Because if they're in diapers and they're that little, they're always needing something and they're always around. I mean, that's just how it is. And so, so we're on vacation, okay? And so one day my dad loves to play golf and he's like, hey, let's go play golf. We always go play golf on vacation. So all the guys go play golf. Now, when you go play golf, it's at least a four, four and a half hour experience. For us, we lose our balls in the woods and my dad is like, he has to find his ball. He's that guy. You know, I'm like, just leave it. But he finds it. He's got like an eagle eye. He can't read, you know, his Bible from this far away. But he can spot a golf ball a mile away. It's just amazing. But anyway, so it takes us a while. Plus, it's about a 30-minute drive. So all in all, it's about five, five and a half hours worth of the day. And my dad doesn't go in the morning because it's too expensive. We go in the afternoon. He's paying, so I go and he says. So afternoon we go. It's the whole afternoon a shot, okay? So we go and play. We're coming back, it's, it's, you know, it's six o'clock, 6.30, we're hungry, we're ready to eat. We're strolling through the door, we're having a good time, we're laughing, and dad says, oh, hey, by the way, I got us a tea time uh, for tomorrow as well. Are you guys in for tomorrow? And of course, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. And my brother, he's in and we're all in because that was before the, you know, the, the courtesy, hey, do you mind conversation began that, that I didn't know about that you needed to have uh, at that time. And so I'm, I'm in. And so I'm in and, and I make the commitment and, and my wife, she's standing in the hallway and she hears this whole thing. And so when I look up at her, I'm like, hey, babe, what's going on? And, and I quickly catch the vibe. <laughs> Something's up, you know. So you're going over. I'm going over for the hug. Hey, babe, what's up? And then it slowly kind of turns into a side tap because she's got that look, you know. That look of, if you touch me, I will break your fingers, look. And so, so, so you know, kind of, okay, I pick up the kids and go about my day. And, and so, I, you know, it doesn't take a genius to feel the tension in a marriage, does it? You know? Uh, and so something's there, a few hours or so pass, and I'm like, hey, babe, <clears throat> is, is everything okay? And um, she goes, oh, oh, I'm fine. Now, you and I both know I'm fine does not mean I'm fine, does it? See, here, I can't, I can, I cannot prove this, but I think women take younger girls away on a retreat. And at this retreat, you teach them all these phrases that you say, but you really don't mean, like I'm fine, you know? And all these little things that you teach them, we can't, I, I can't prove that, but I believe that you do it. Here's an example. When your wife's at home and she says, honey, are you busy? That doesn't mean, honey, are you busy? You know, and back in the day before I knew the code language, I'm watching the game. Yeah, can you not see? I am watching the game. Obviously, I'm busy. That's not what that means. That means I want to talk to you. Ah, revolutionizes your marriage when you understand code language, doesn't it? Revolutionize. When she says, honey, I've had a hard day at work. You know what that means? Ask me about my day, fool, you know? 
ask me about my day. It's not, oh, you know. It, it, here's another one. This is a, if, if she ever is at home and she says anything about your mother, if she says anything about work, or she says anything about being tired, that pretty much means, guys, ain't nothing happening in the bedroom tonight. It ain't happening. The light is off. No suit for you. It is not going to happen. Don't even try. So, so when she says, I'm fine, it doesn't mean she's fine. In fact, what it really means is that there are so many things not fine that she doesn't even know where to start. Amen? I mean, is that what it means, ladies? I mean, that's the code language that you guys teach each other. So, so I'm fine. Well, I knew that didn't mean that she's fine. And so we started to talk a little bit more. And, and she says, honey, <clears throat> are you really going to go golf again tomorrow? Stress on the words. You, you know what that means. And so I'm like, <clears throat> um, you know, at this point, you know, you're kind of stuck because as a guy, I've already committed. I've said yes. So my man card is on the line here for my dad and my, my brothers and, and those kinds of things. And so, what, what, you know, what am I going to do at this point? And so, so I, I decided that I was going to take, you know, a point from Barack Obama. You know how he gets asked a question and he doesn't answer the question. He answers another question. That's what I decided to do. So she asked me, honey, are you going to go play golf tomorrow? And, and so I just, I just flipped the script there and I just say, well, honey, yeah, I would love to go eat. And just turn around and walk away. You know, it's like change the subject and just answer a completely different question that she didn't ask. Well, obviously the code language, obviously the tension in marriage presents itself frequently. And so, you know, what we have to do is my golf schedule my, whatever your thing is, whatever it's fishing or, you know, whatever your hobby is, insert your hobby, guys. And, and so we have to realize, am I going to put those things first because it's what I want to do and it's what I need? Or are we able to change and put our selfishness aside? Second Corinthians says Christ's love compels us, you know, whether it be winning the argument whether it be getting what we want, we are called to not live for our own needs and our own selfishness, but to live for him. That's what he's calling us to. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. So what this teaches us is what sin actually does to you. Sin turns you and I in upon ourself. Sin turns what you want in upon what your needs are what your desires are. Sin turns yourself into your concerns, what's important to you, what your needs are. It turns your dreams into selfish dreams and your plans are turned into what your plan needs to be. And when somebody doesn't help you get your dreams or help you get your plan, you all of a sudden feel like you've fallen out of love. Or that she's, you know, we don't clicking on the same page here. See, you'll, you'll look at your spouse as either an object to get what you want. Or you'll look at your spouse as an obstacle in the way of what you want. So how do you look at your spouse? Is she the object to get what you want? Or is she just the obstacle? She's just in the way of what you need. I love this book. I see these things flickering back and forth, so I don't know if we'll get it, but I'm gonna read. Um, Paul Tripp wrote a book called What Did You Expect? I'm gonna read this quote. He says, 
we don't really have time to love our spouse in the purest sense of what that means because we're too busy loving ourselves. What we actually want is for our spouse to love us as much as we love ourselves. And if our spouse is willing to do that, we'll have a wonderful relationship. But the moment that stuff isn't happening, we've fallen out of love or, or you know, we get a little disappointed in them or, or maybe we're more irritated or we're impatient with them because of the things that they are not doing for us. I just make a confession to you guys. This is just me. Um, the struggles in our marriage, um, my, my personal marriage, it's not because I don't love Micah enough. Our biggest problem is that I don't love God enough. Because if I love God enough, then I would love her like she needs to be loved. But I keep getting in the way of myself. And what's funny about how we manipulate each other and how we do this is, is like even the things that we think we're doing for our spouse, we really are doing for ourselves. You ever think about that? Like we want, instead of building God's kingdom, we want to build our kingdom and call everybody to come and serve us and do everything we want. And, and, and so we start building that kingdom. And so in that same vein, I'll do things that I'm saying I'm doing for her, but in essence, I'm really doing them for me. Here's an example. Hey guys, you, you ever bought your wife something from Victoria's Secret? <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, right? <clears throat> Happy birthday. And she's like, oh, yay. <laughs> awesome. Exactly what she wanted, right? Um, here, here's another example. I was, um, my wife makes a great chicken parmesan. Any chicken parmesan fans? I don't know how she does it, but she does a great one. And so I, I came home from work one day. And I was like, baby, you got anything planned for tonight? She's like, oh, I'm still trying to decide what we're going to do. And I said, how about your chicken parm? I love your chicken parm. And she was like, yeah, I'm a little tired. I don't have all the ingredients. If you'll go to the store and get what we need, then yeah, I'll make it tonight. So I was like, ah, I hate going to the store. Hate it. Any guys in here hate going to the store? Loathe the store, okay? And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll go to the store. And so she gave me the list. There's like seven items on the list. And so I go in and I walk in the door. And as soon as I walk in the door with my list, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where anything is. I, I wish they would build an app for this, like type in spaghetti and then like aisle seven. By the way, wives, would it, is it too much to ask if you give us the list, just put the aisle beside each item? Is that too much to ask? I mean, seriously, I mean, it would save me so much time. And so here I am, I'm going down the list and I finally find the spaghetti noodles and I finally find the sauce and I finally find this ingredient and that ingredient. An hour later, I'm still walking around this store, you know, and, and there's one object that keeps eluding me, the Parmesan cheese, okay, which is probably the most important item on the list for chicken Parmesan, right? And so I can't find it. I'm looking everywhere. And at this point, you know, after an hour, I'm like a, a zombie. I'm like the walking dead, like, oh, I can't find it. And, and then I kind of resort to, you know, looking at other people who have a list. And I'm like, like a kid in, in high school cheating on a test. I'm like looking at their list. Maybe they have chicken parm on their list and I can just follow them. And so I'm getting desperate. And so if, if, if you know, if you're just thinking logically, guys who, this is just for guys who don't go to the store. Where would you think Parmesan cheese would be? It, next to the cheese. Okay, I'll just answer that for you. Thank you for those thoughts, though. 
next to the cheese, okay? So I go to the cheese aisle and I got my cheddar cheese. I got my mozzarella cheese. I got my, you know, shredded finely cheese. I got my not so shredded finely cheese. I got all the cheese in God's green earth, but I got no stinking Parmesan cheese. So it is now at an hour and a half for a seven list item, okay? So seven item list. So I finally go back to the what aisle, ladies? Spaghetti aisle, thank you. In the spaghetti aisle, FYI. And it's on the top shelf and I get to, okay, hour and a half, I go home. And you know what I'm thinking when I go through the, home, through, through the doors? I'm thinking, man, she better appreciate me. I just slayed at the grocery store. It's been an hour and a half. Man, she's gonna love me. And, and so I walk through the door. You know what she said? Wow, you're home. That took a while. <laughs> you know what that's code for? You're an idiot. <laughs> Where you been? You know, why did it take you so long? And so, so I'm, I, my response to that was, babe, I just spent an hour and a half looking and getting all of these ingredients for you. And she said, no, you didn't. You went there for you. This is what you wanted to eat. And I said, well, I, I, I got to go to the bathroom. And I just walked away. <laughs> I didn't have a comeback for that. Because at the end of the day, I was. Now think about it. How often do you do something for your spouse and, and you're communicating, I'm doing this because I love you, when in essence you're doing it because it's going to fulfill something in your heart that you really wanted. Now, how do you get over that? Man, that's tough. That's why we realize we are so very sinful and in need of God's grace. Because that is the core of most of our marital problems, if not all of our marital problems. And it's called self-love. Self-love dictates our responses. It dictates our actions. And if we're not careful, it will dictate our entire life. And at the end of it, we'll realize that we have spent 60, 70 plus years living for ourselves, not denying ourselves, but living for us. And we'll realize We've not really made an impact on anybody's life and we've never truly understood what love is. Here's the second purpose in marriage. Second purpose for marriage is for you to end your pursuit of you and start pursuing him, start pursuing Christ. End your pursuit of you, fulfilling your wants, fulfilling your needs, accomplishing your goals, accomplishing your dreams, going after everything that you want and begin to submit that to God and begin to pursue him with your life. Our motivation is, is, is the love of Christ because it compels us, it controls us and it helps us overcome our own self. That we would truly place our, identi our identity and our meaning and our purpose and our sense of happiness in him. So God, again, he places us in these marriage relationships to expose us, to expose our selfishness. How else would we get over it? We never really, we would never truly want to own up to this. But with our spouse, we see it in each other and we call each other out on it. And now we have the opportunity. Either I can, I can confess it to God and I can change it or I can continue to run after myself. He places us in a broken relationship with a broken person and a broken world. And then he allows things to happen in our life that we would never choose. 
we would never want to happen. But all these events are there to bring an end to ourselves. He wants us to give up our way, our plan, abandon our dreams, abandon our plans, stop manipulating the other person and begin to live for him who died for us and rose from the grave. Now, some people hear all this and they think, yeah, 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 I get all that. But Trent, you don't know how bad off our marriage is. You don't know how incredibly difficult things are right now. And I just, I just want to read this, this verse again. Let's just, let's just focus on this. He says this, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this Jesus died and was raised. So you're telling me that you believe that Jesus rose from the grave for your sin, but you don't believe that he is powerful enough to heal your marriage. Now that logic is, just doesn't make sense, does it? When you think about it, that he is more powerful to conquer sin and death in the grave, to bring his father glory by dying on the cross for the sins of his people. But he cannot turn your selfish husband into a follower of Christ. Are you kidding me? He can't change your wife, but he can raise from the grave. You see. The fact that he rose from the grave proves to us that he is more powerful and that he is willing to redeem his people. But not only that, to redeem our relationships where we have our hangups and our confusion and our trouble. And God wants to reconcile that in your marriage. He wants to reconcile you to those relationships that are broken. And through his power and through his strength, he can do all things and so we don't wanna sell him short this morning. And we wanna understand that, okay, maybe our selfishness is being exposed today. And so I've gotta make a decision to begin to confess this to my spouse, to begin to confess this to God and, and change my priorities so that I can begin to focus upon Christ and put him first and put him central, abandon my plan and focus on his plan. So we close today, I wanna encourage you to reflect on a few questions here. Would you just maybe bow your heads and try to block out everything? Please, please don't leave the room. Let's, let's think about this and ask the Spirit of Christ to work in our hearts as we hear these questions. Could it be that what you actually want is for the other person to love you as much as you love yourself? I mean, at the end of the day, is that really the problem? You just want her to love you as much as you love you. Could it be that your anger reveals just how passionate you are for your kingdom and your complete disregard for God's kingdom? Could it be that your spiritual laziness is evidence that you only care about your kingdom and God is just kind of an afterthought? Could it be that your addiction to porn simply reveals that you're a dude that only cares about your personal pleasure and you have no desire to understand the depths of your wife and the amazing love that Christ has for you. Maybe it's just the lack of concern for her that simply reveals your lack of concern for Jesus. I, I mean, at the end of the day, the battle is not really with her, guys. Your battle is with Jesus. 
and you're fighting him and you're like, no, I'm in, I'm in control. God, I, I've got this thing under, under wraps here. And the reality is you think it's her, but it's, it's you, bro. And I just wanna encourage you that your marriage could be so much better if you would lead in brokenness and repentance. Christ wants to do this in you. There is hope for you. There is joy for you. There is so much more in this relationship that God wants you to experience. But, but first you gotta get over yourself and your selfishness and you've gotta focus your heart and your life upon Him.